You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to transition from corporate America to entrepreneurship, pivot in business, and all the other things they don't tell you about owning a business with Tamika Rochester of Harlem Cycle. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Buckle up. We are taking off to financial freedom and independence. Now, today on the podcast, I have Tamika Rochester. And let me tell you something. This was such an amazing conversation. If I don't say so myself, I think that if you are an entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur doing something on the side, that you will get a lot from this. Even if you're not any of those things, if you just enjoy a good conversation, a real conversation about what it's like to go after your dreams, you're going to enjoy this. So let me first tell you a little bit about Tamika. Tamika Rochester is owner and founder of Harlem Cycle, Harlem's first and only indoor cycling studio. In 2016, she decided to turn her passion for fitness and open Harlem Fitness when she was looking to get back in shape and find a workout that would put her in a positive frame of mind. After exploring the various workouts, she was drawn to indoor cycling and then eventually opened up her own cycling studio. Now, I love this conversation with Tamika because she really gets into what it was like to come up with that this idea, which she really didn't plan to have and do, and how she transitioned from corporate America to full time entrepreneurship. And within that time period, even up to this date, there's a lot that has been happening. Obviously, COVID and having to pivot her cycling studio. What does that look like? How did she start the studio? How did she get the money to do that? All the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, we are talking about it. So it really did feel like I was talking to a friend about what it's like to run a business. Because as you all know, I'm in my own entrepreneurship journey. So I found that this was very, very helpful. So I hope it's helpful to you too. First, a word from our sponsor, DCU, also known as Digital Federal Credit Union. Now, at their core, credit unions were founded on the philosophy of people helping people. For individuals that might find themselves part of the underbanked or underserved communities, credit unions offer individuals a safe place to manage their finances or help fund purchases as an alternative to other financial service providers like payday lenders. At DCU, the credit union places an enhanced focus on financial education by offering learning modules on key financial topics like budgeting, saving for the unexpected, building credit, and much more. DCU also offers a secured credit card that could help individuals establish or improve their credit by borrowing securely against their savings balance. To learn more, check out dcu.org and stick around to the end of the show for a new segment called the DCU Money Tips of the Week, where I'll be sharing tips to help you save and manage your money so you can reach your goals. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or you can click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode to get the full episode show notes. Now, if you are a new listener to the podcast or an OG journeyer, I've created a jumpstart guide to help you on your journey to financial freedom. It includes the top episodes to listen to, the stages to go through to reach financial freedom, 
resources to help you, and so much more. Get it for free by texting LAUNCH to 33777. Text LAUNCH to 33777 or go to com slash jumpstart to get your guide for free right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Okay, Journey, you're super excited because I have on Tamika Rochester on the podcast and she is the owner and founder of Harlem Cycle. And I was really intrigued by Tamika's story because I just feel like, you know, she's an entrepreneur and not like an actual entrepreneur that has like a location-based physical business, which can be a little bit different from what, like what I'm doing, which is like more informational based and online. And I just, I know so many of you guys like want more possibilities, want to see what things are, are available to you in the universe and in the world. So like, why not bring on someone who has experience leaving corporate America, starting their own business and a fitness business at that. Like so many things I want to get into with you, Tamika. So I'm really excited to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm super, super excited. So first tell me, um, so you started Harlem Cycle, which is a indoor cycling. Well, it, what, it started as an indoor cycling <laughs> <laughs> fitness studio. So tell me more about like that journey. Cause I always, in my, in my, like, uh, I guess previous or like future life, I always thought I'd be like some sort of fitness instructor doing something. So how did you like decide that that's what you wanted to do? So that's funny that you said that because nowhere in my life did I ever think that I would be. Um, so at no point did I ever see myself in fitness. I am, I actually started my career as an engineer but I always, you know, I was always very active growing up and always loved to like ride my bike outside. I grew up in Atlanta. So, you know, streets of Atlanta are safe for riding bikes. And that's what we did as kids. Um, and then as an engineer, I decided to make the bold switch and switch into marketing. And when I was switched into marketing, like my stress level just increased 20,000%. Um, and then I, I really needed a release. I needed something that was just for me, some form of self-care. And I had just had my son at the time, so I'm, I'm struggling with a, a newborn baby. And so I just really needed some something for myself. And someone told me about indoor cycling, tried it, loved it. Loved the music, loved the vibe, loved the energy. Um, and, and just was really making that, I made that my workout. And so at the point, that I, even, even as it became my workout, um, it was so far to see myself at the front of the room was just so far out of my comfort zone. I just would have never imagined myself leading a class there. Uh, but, you know, it, time reveals itself to you and you kind of realize what your passion is. And and so, you know, though I'm in fitness, my passion is, is always been about helping people to discover who they really are and getting closer to who they want to be. And so that to me has just manifested through fitness. Yeah, I love that. I love. So you said you started out as an engineer. Yes. And then like change careers. And, you know, at the baseline of, of it all, I feel like we all have these things that we're kind of interested in or don't know that we're interested in. Right. And maybe it's a hobby or just a side thing that interests us. But it's just nice to see that, like, even if you're this thing, you know, like if you're in a box or, you know, whether you put yourself there or someone put you there, that literally, though, you can <laughs> you can do anything. You can take that lid off and jump right out outside of that box and do whatever you want to do. Um, and I've done it. I've done it now. This is the third career switch. So from engineer to brand manager to now fitness. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about that switching of careers. How did you know it was the time to make that switch? Because there's so many people right now who are listening on their way to creating that life they love and financial independence. 
and they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. How did, how did you switch first from an engineer to brand manager to this? Like, how did you know it was right, the right thing to do? So it's, you know, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy. It's a scary thing to do. It's very scary to leave something that you know you're good at. You know you know how to do it. You know, people recognize who you are in that field and to go into a completely new territory. It's scary. It's nothing to take lightly. So whoever's in that position, I feel you. It's not easy. But for me, it was, you know, when I looked down, I was like, well, all I can do is just try, right? You know, having that, that idea that, well, if I try and fail, I can always still be an engineer. There's like no big deal. <laughs> um, and so to me, it was the risk wasn't bigger than the reward. So for me, the reward was I tried, I started to find myself a new, a new thing that I could do. And I switched careers and, and, and loved it. The risk was I don't love it, but then I could just go back to being what I was before, an engineer. Right, right. And I think that is such an important way to look at it things in your mind is that like you won't I always say like you know you won't die like you know the the immediate thing is that you think you're going to die because it's like if something fails and the embarrassment of it all like it feels like that like there's so many emotions that then turn physical to how you feel about what's happening and taking a risk but literally like once you can wrap your like head around like what is the worst case scenario and I always say if you're having this decision or thinking about this like you don't want to regret the risk not taken. Like, you know that if you're in your life right now and you're like unhappy and there's something calling you for something more and you have the, you know, something to leap off of. It doesn't even have to be like super solid, but something that you staying where you are is like, if you can't see yourself and it's like more painful to stay where you are than to at least take that risk, it's time to do it. Right, it's time to move. But you know, a thing that always stuck in my mind was I would have to constantly tell myself, you're not that important to me, good. The embarrassment, people will get over it in 30 seconds when something else happens. Like, you're not that important that you switching and failing at a career will be what the whole world is talking about. No one's going to care after like 10 minutes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that you said that because oftentimes too, like even with, um, let's say leaving a job, even if like, just say you're, you got a better opportunity. Um, I, Cause I've sp- spoken to people, I've been in a situation where you feel like, oh, but they need me. Like, it's going to be an issue. You, f- you, you are more upset or worried about letting other people down mm-hmm. than yourself and when it's just like these people are going to live their lives they're not really that worried about you <laughs> not at all and I left the company after 13 years and literally in like a day they had replaced me mm. <laughs> like so it's, it's like we're not as important as we make ourselves out to be in these situations um and you know I always tell people like your job posting will be posted before your obituary is up so Think about that. They care more about that job than you and your life. Oh, yes. Okay. So go live that life. All right. So I want to know how you like then transitioned or knew at the point wherever you made that decision. Like when did you decide, okay, I'm going to open a studio. Like I like cycling. I like going to the classes, but now I think I'm going to open a studio because sometimes like if you have like a side hustle idea or something you want to do, like you can either go in it without even knowing kind of like kind of what you did, or you're like, you know what, I'm going to start a studio. Like at what point did you make the decision that you were going to go in all the way? (laughs) So I'm also one of those people that makes very quick decisions. Like if I feel it, I pursue it. And if it doesn't happen, then I just move on to the next thing. Um, So literally one day I'm out for a jog and I see like this, a sign for an open building. And I was like, oh, this would be so amazing if there was a cycling studio here. I could just walk to it. I could have my workout, come right back home. Like, so convenient to me. Um, and, and at the time, it was really about 
what would be convenient for my lifestyle? Because there was no cycling studios in Harlem and I had to go downtown for cycling studios. Or I would just take a class at the local YMCA that had its own ups and downs and, and its own mess. Um, but I wasn't really satisfied with that experience. And the downtown studios, I wasn't totally in love with them. You know, the music was different. You know, many times I'm the only minority person in there. I'm the only person with hips and curves. Like it was, it was just a lot to always, you know, have to like navigate those two worlds. And so as I'm out for this run, I'm like, ooh, it would be so great if there's a cycling studio here. And I literally called the, the number on the thing. It was like, hey, I'm just looking at this uh, sign. I just want to know how much this space costs per month. And they told me the number and I was like, ooh, that seems like a lot. Okay. And then as I'm talking to the realtor, he was like, well, well what are you trying to do? And I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm looking to start a cycling business. Now, he totally brushed me off and was like, do you have a business? Like, what's your plan? I was like, I'm just, I'm putting together my financials. Did you know before you said that, that you were going to say, I'm no, it just came to you. It's like, <laughs> it I'm just came to me. <laughs> no, literally out for a run and was like, oh, this would be perfect. <laughs> and there was no point before that, that I was like, I want to start a cycling studio. Literally no point before that. And that was like an early November morning. I'm out for late October, early November. What year was this? This was 2015. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And so, but as I talked to the realtor and his like negativity, I was like, okay, I see what you're doing. Let me go home and write my business plan. And so like a week later, because, you know, I'm one of those people, once I get focused on something, it has to be done. Like I couldn't focus on anything else for that week. Put through the business plan, use the numbers that he had given me for my financial statements. And was like, this is not doable. I worked for Colgate Palmolive Company. I was head of the, I was senior brand manager for their, one of their top brands. And I was like, if they've trusted me, this company has trusted me with a billion dollar brand. I can surely make a little tiny brand in my own neighborhood. I could surely at least try. Um, so from the, you know, that standpoint, that, that was that confidence from being able, from making the switch before that I switched from engineering to marketing and they trusted me with this huge brand that I could at least start my own little tiny one. And so from there, just kept pushing. Um, I signed my lease in February 2016. At that location or somewhere else? No, somewhere else. His, okay. numbers, his numbers were ridiculous. <laughs> so then I, um, we signed the lease. I signed the lease February 1st. And then April 2nd, we had our first class. So this is 2016. Yes. We opened for the first time. Now, okay. Questions about opening the studio now and like the capital to start this. So at this point, you're working full time still mm -hmm. and you decide, all right, let me run the numbers and see what I can do. So how like can you share like the startup costs to actually getting this physical location? Yeah. So startup costs are like whatever your rent is, you need about four times that just to put down on the space. That's just that's money that's going to be sunk in. You're never going to see it again. It's gone. But can say goodbye. Um, so whatever, if we're ever looking for a storefront. It's whatever that cost is, that monthly cost is times four because they, they want a deposit, they want first to last month, and it's usually four times your rent. And then from there, you have to do some level of a build out. No place comes exactly how you want it. And so you have to find contractors that you can trust. Notice the word trust because contractors sometimes are a little shady with these numbers. And so for my space, like my contractors, it, it was upwards of 60, 70,000 um, just to build out the space. And that's just sanding floors and painting. That's not buying equipment and bikes and a desk and, and things like that. That's just literally painting the floors and the ceilings and making it to standards of what we needed. 
And then from there, you have to think about your equipment costs and how much it is for your equipment. But, you know, for anyone, these costs seem daunting, but you really have to pull back and say, what do I really need? As the years have gone on, things have gotten better at the studio. Like more pictures come up on the wall. Like, did I need 10,000 pictures on the wall when we first opened? No. Um, But as the time went on, we've added different things to make it more inviting and more warm. But you do have to be careful. There's that fine balance of first impression. Like when people come into my space, they w- I, I wanted them to be able to be like, this space is amazing. It's inviting. Let me tell all my friends about it. Um, so, you know, it was those little things. And then there's ways of, of doing things at cost. Like if you go to your house, like I do, and stop at Marshall's Home Goods to decorate your home, there's probably something there you could probably purchase too for your business to kind of make it warm and inviting as well. So those kind of costs I had to factor in. Now, where did this money come from? Yeah, that's my, you know, that's my next question. So, all right. So I'm like trying to keep, so you're saying maybe this was like 80 to 100,000 to start? Yeah. Okay. To start. Now, this money came from my pockets that were just, it's, it's terrible. But, you know, as a, as a business, as someone who was not in business before, as someone who um, only use, I use only my 501, sorry, my 401k. I use my savings. My fiance helped put in portion of it. And he's been, you know, he was the backbone to me helping because there was many months that, you know, your first year, you're not making payroll. I couldn't even help pay some of my instructors some months. And so he put in the other half. Now, did I try to not use my money? Absolutely. I went to the bank, presented my business plan, gave him, you know, and I always had, I was someone who had, I have over 700 when it comes to credit scoring, um, and it just, it wasn't available to me. Banks were not willing to loan to me. And even small institutions were like, we don't know you. Um, so it was very difficult at first to find that funding. So I used my savings and my fiance's savings to get us started. Wow. Okay. And so when it came to, and I want to like also peel back to where you were personally, where your personal finances at that point, like if you had outside debt, I mean, you already said you tapped into your 401k. Did you like take, did you drain your 401k completely or you just took some? No, no. So another thing, I am also the most frugal person in the absolute world. I do not spend money ever unless I have to. Like 10 years from now, you'll see me in the same sweatshirt because that's just me. Um, So my savings was already, you know, I had already from 13 years of working in corporate America, my savings was pretty significant. Outside of that, outside of my 401k, so my 401k was, you know, I used a bit of it, but not as much. Um, the rest was just from savings. Okay. And so I'd ask that because there are people who, because um, I would see this as an investment, right? It's a different type of investing, like investing in a business, but there are people who have debt still, right? And so, or per, their personal finances, like they actually have to stress that to create the business. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you have like a platform like mine that talks about being debt free and all these things. And if certain people wait to become completely debt free, like outside of a mortgage or student loan, like then they may never realize or act on a dream. So I don't ever want to say like, don't ever take the risk. And, you know, like, I'm not one to be like, okay, just jump into your 401k. Like, I'm not like about that either, but I just find like some people that I've, whether it's from other, you know, stories of other people, like I hear like that they take this risk. And sometimes it is necessary because there's no other way that you would have been able to like <laughs> make it work. No, no. And I even put things on my credit card, um, which is not the best way to do things. But thank heavens, here we are five years later and I've been able to pay that off. But you have to think about what's good debt and bad debt. 
right? Everyone expects you to have student loans and student loans will be with everyone and no matter how much money you have for the rest of your life. Like that, that's debt, as long as you're managing it and paying it. So I do not suggest that you spend all of your money trying to pay off student loans when you have this big, amazing business idea that you could be developing that could help you in the long run pay it off. Um, so, you know, you have to look at what, to me, it's good debt versus bad debt. Now, putting it on your credit card, bad debt. Um, would not recommend it. Interest rate's ridiculous. But in the end, I, that was what I had to do to, to get us where we are. But I, I believed in the dream and I held on to my full-time job. So I didn't immediately quit. So I held on to that full-time job to pay down some of that debt in that first year so that we could be at a good place. Right, right. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's so important. Like everyone's tools and resources that they have available are going to be different. And two, like you sounded, this thing too, if you're serious about this and you literally are going to go all in, then the risk is necessary to be taken. Yeah. But if you know you're one of those people, and it's funny because you could definitely be one of those people who've tried things and failed, not a problem if you want to try something else. But you got to really understand if you're going to, if you're going to tap into 401ks or borrow from family and friends, like you have to be serious about whatever it is you're about to do that you're going to put your all into it. Yeah. And, you know, before I even started Harlem Cycle, I had reached out to um, four friends that I've known through life. So first one was my best friend who I've known since second grade, my sister, um, my best friend from college, and then someone who I've known since my professional career. And we sat down and literally did a SWOT analysis of me. And those are people who have known me through different phases of my life, the good, the bad, the ratchet and everything else. And, and know who I am and are not afraid to tell me who I am. So if at any point they had been like, girl, you know, you don't ever finish or complete anything. I would have walked away from this idea and be like, okay, well maybe I should put my savings towards it. So I think you have to also make sure you know who you are and ask the people closest to you as that reminder of what those strengths are, what those weaknesses are, because there's been plenty of ideas that I've had. And, I, and then my friends have been like, but you don't like to do that. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. I don't, I really don't like to do that. So I, that's not the best idea for me. Right. I love that. Okay. So you then, you start the studio in 2016, you open doors, you've already, but you're still working full time. Yeah. How did it go? Like, how did you market it? How did people start to learn about it? When, what was that first year of business like? Cause I know that was like the roughest part to try to get it profitable. Oh my gosh. That was literally the... Well, I, was, I would say the, the stress, most stress of my life, but 2020 seemed to be bigger than that. But, um, so it was like, I gained 40 pounds in the first year we opened. Like, I, it was crazy. I gained more weight in the first year I opened the fitness studio than when I was pregnant. It, the stress just takes over your body and you just, it's, just, it's a horrible thing. But it was just very stressful. You know, I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning. At the time, my son was four, four and a half. We'd come to the studio, open up, let the instructor come and teach class. Then we'd run to daycare, drop him off. And then I'd make it downtown to work and come back six o'clock, out the door, back to the studio. And this went on for a complete year to the point that it took such a physical toll on me. And it just, it, it also wasn't physically, you can sustain this. I managed to sustain it for a year, but like physically it, it wasn't sustainable. That was when I really realized I have to either make the leap or I'm going to kill myself trying to, to live in two different worlds at the same time. Mm. So how did you prepare to make the leap? What did you do? <laughs> I moved quickly. So it was in like early November again of 2016. So literally a year later, 
from when I had the idea for Harlem Cycle. We made our first $10. Wait, you made your first profit? Like, so after paying expenses, this is the first time you made a profit? First time. We started classes in April. I didn't see $10 till November. I paid all the bills for the month, did my payroll, everything's taken care of, all the orders are in for water, supplies, whatever we need. And it was like $10. And I was like, we good, we're rich. <laughs> in business, there's so many, it's such an emotional roller coaster. And you know, you go up, you have ups and downs. There's days that you're gonna be like, we're never gonna make any money. Like this isn't working. Like, you know, it's just, it's just such a, a roller coaster. And when we got that high of that $10, I was like, oh, oh, we doing this. It just was the renewed sense of, and gave me that extra energy to keep pushing and keep going on. And from there, it was like 100% in. Like my sleepless nights became worth it and just really pushing us out. And so to get our names, to our name out there from the beginning, it was really all very grassroots marketing. You know, we started Instagram, started with five followers. One of them was my sister and the other one was my mama. Um, and then from there, the instructors started following. Um, they started sharing posts too to help kind of build the business. I walked every single coffee shop, every store in Harlem and handed out flyers to put at the, their desktops to get to clients. I went to local schools and said, hey, can you give this to all the teachers? Uh, so it was very grassroots at first. And every time clients came in, I'm like, do you want me to take a picture so you can share with your friends on social social media? Tag us. <laughs> um, and that actually was the biggest push that helped grow our social media, but it also, you know, helped grow people physically coming into the space. So it was very grassroots at first. But those those little things actually, I think, are how you have to start when it comes to in-person businesses. You have to be able to talk to your customers. You have to be able to to have them share because people people rely on word of mouth more than me telling you how great we are. Right. And I assume you have to be a people person to have an in-person <laughs> business. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. Because you have to be always on and pleasant and or you're hiring, you know, someone has to do customer service. You're not hiring that person up front and you're the face of the business. People want to talk to you and see you. Yes, absolutely. And, and so, you know, I, I find myself to be a people's person, but I've also considered myself to be like shy. Um, so I don't necessarily always like talking about myself. That's something outside of my comfort zone. I've had to like share on social media who I am, who, who is Tamika, why she opened the studio. And to me, it still feels a little weird to like talk about myself on social media, but it's something as a business owner, I've had to like jump past that comfort zone because people want to know who they're spending their money with and what they're supporting. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's an interesting like dynamic of being an entrepreneur and like the level of success you want to attain because you know, what I do, I want to be successful without anyone knowing who I am. And I can just like walk mm-hmm. in the street. No one knows like me, <laughs> like no one knows my business or how my kids look. Yes. And I do believe it's a way to do that. But now with social media thrown into the mix, people want to know you because you know, the concept for your cycling business, there are other cycling and fitness studios. Right. Right. So people want to also be connected to you. And I find that in the personal finance space, too. Like I can just throw up like random just quotes, which is fine. (laughs) But I feel like people are really connected when they really are a journeyer and connected. It's because like they're connected to like my voice and kind of my personal story within. Obviously, they're you're the focal point. Like they're the ones that are trying to um, helping them reach their goals. But they want to relate to you also as like the person. And so you have to share. You have to be vulnerable. I know. It is such a, it's such a, a interesting dynamic, right? It's such a, a crazy dynamic to me to be like, here I am, I'm Tamika. <laughs> like, what? Who are you? Sit down. 
but you know, it gets you out of that comfort zone. And that's what really business is about. It's like taking the leap, coming out of your comfort zone, sharing who you are with the world. And so that's something you have to be prepared to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So taking that leap now, how did you decide? So you said, you're like, all right, I can't keep doing all these things that, you know, I got to give something up. How did you prepare then to leave after that $10 profit? How did you say, okay, I can like my family and I can live from this. So after, you know, that happened in November, which, so the thing too, is we held our first class in April. That is literally the end of the fitness um, industry's best season. So January, February, March is like the booming months for us. Like that's where you make all your money. That's where you get all your clients. Um, and you just got to hold them. So we opened up after everybody else had already committed to their New Year's resolution somewhere else and had already done all these things. So of course, our first couple of months were a little slow. But then in November, it was like that, that tick of people now committing to wellness. They're getting ready for the holidays. They want to lose those extra pounds before they see their relatives. Um, and then the January came and everyone wanted to like get back in their New Year's resolution. And they were choosing us as the place they wanted to do it. And so immediately that shift happened um, where like the client shift, just, it just immediately started picking up. So I didn't really prepare for it at all. Like what the, the funds were starting to come in and, you know, I, as I said, I, I don't spend money. So anytime some profit came in, it was immediately put aside and saved as, instead of the working capital account, it was in a savings account for the business. Because if I was, I always figured if you were able to make it happen with this little teeny bit of money, this is not the time to suddenly go out and start buying a whole new bike, like make it work and then save what you've gotten for a bigger, in, you know, solid investment. And so it started coming in. But also one thing that was happening at work was these passive and microaggressions were happening. So we were getting featured in the New York Times, we had gotten on the news and we were getting all this great press and my management were all like, you know, suddenly I went from the number one performer on the team to speak, we're not sure if you want to be here. And I'm like, why would you next me that? That seems like an odd statement to make particularly when mid-years was in like June and you loved me then and here we are in like November, December and suddenly you don't know if I want to be here. It's just very weird microaggressions happening and, and, and all those things were just continuing to pile up. And literally end of January, 2017, I'd gotten my review and it was not at all positive. And I was so heartbroken. I'd been with the company for 13 years. I have never had a bad review. I've actually won awards for my performance at the company. I'm one of the three people who ever was able to transition from the engineering or from the science departments to marketing. And to get a negative review, particularly when half of the year was so positive, but it came all after we started getting press and they knew about Harlem Cycle. I got that review on a Friday afternoon. On that Monday, I came in and gave my notice of termination. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I just literally that weekend, I was like, I, I've been giving so much of myself and then to be just felt like I was betrayed. And so that Monday, I just gave my resignation. No, no actual build up to it. Just you, you're done. So I actually want to go back a little bit because the other thing about building something on the side is like, whether you share it with your company or not, keep it secret. I remember when I was doing Journey to Launch, like it was, no one knew about it. I had like this segment on CBS that a couple people saw at my job. This is like before I left my job and they were like, I think I saw you on, I'm like, did you? Like, I was like, you sure, you sure that's me? <laughs> and even like, it was so funny. The security guard was like, I saw you on TV. I was like, what? I was like, okay. So 
I didn't share what I was doing just because I, I talk about specifically too with like my content, like if you want to leave your job, preparing to leave your job, financial independence. So I felt like that was kind of, you know, directly letting them know that I was preparing to leave and I didn't want like that to be something that held me back. So you kept, did they not know about Harlem Cycle before the press? No, I did not tell them. So the interesting thing is, so I told my engineering friends um, and my engineer, my old engineering managers that we're still friends with. So engineering and marketing were very two different dynamics in the company. So engineering, we're a team. We love each other. We're like, we work together. Marketing, it was very cutthroat, very, the dynamics was just very different. Um, so my engineering people knew, and we're still friends to this day. Marketing people, not so much. <laughs> and so I didn't tell them. And they they found out through the news. And I was just like hearing whispers like, what? Someone shared an article to me because that you were on that. So you were sharing articles about me, but then CC'd me on it. And so it was like, why are y'all whispering about this? You could have just asked. And then it just you could just feel the difference in, in the tension in meetings and things like that when I was there. Yeah. Okay. So you got this. You, you said, I'm done. I'm going to leave. You leave. But at this point, did you have, were you paying yourself from Harlem Cycle or not yet? No. At that point, I wasn't paying myself, but then I had to start. Right. <laughs> so I didn't start paying myself until after I left. But I still, I still had two weeks of vacation left. So I gave my notice and was like, and I'm going to take my vacation. Right. Um, so <laughs> I still got two weeks left. So I, you know, I used that. And then um, because I was previously a high performer in the company, I had different incentives that were I had already had accumulated over the years that if I ever left or if I was ever willing to leave, that I could cash in. And so I cashed those in and that helped me survive for about a month or two before I had to start paying myself the problem cycle. Do you find, do you feel like, like since you didn't have any other options, there was no other income like from your job coming in that you ran Harlem Cycle differently and like you became more profitable because of it? Yes. So opportunities literally opened up the moment I said, I can't do this anymore. And so there were things that I could say yes to. Like we picked up a contract with teaching some teachers and educators that we couldn't have done before because no one was available at 430 to teach these classes. And these, this contract is literally like what takes us to a different level. I was able to use the middays to meet with other fitness professionals and like learn more about the industry and, and increase like my knowledge of what's going on out there and network a little bit better. And literally doors were just opening and opening and opening. Like within a month, I saw a difference. And I was just like, so to me, they were holding me back and I just didn't realize it. Yeah. And it's weird. Like you won't know that until you take the leap. Until you take the leap. Right. Until you go all in, right? Like you won't be able to experience like what opens up beyond right because your mind or you might be just blocked to the possibilities but yeah I think it's fascinating because some of the things that we're holding on to and we're like we're afraid to let go because it's stable or secure and that could be even if you're a business owner yeah and there are opportunities that are stable but you don't maybe like them you're like but if I give this up then what but like not understanding this like I always say like dating like I have a friend (laughs) that dates someone I think he's like trash and I'm just like if you stop dating him I think you'll find someone better and like no I'm gonna hold on to it and then maybe someone else will come I'm like no "No." he's blocking your blessing (laughs) right so it's very you know I think that applies here too even with your own like whatever it is that you're in right now letting go what's not serving you having the courage to do it is important because then you'll realize like how much more is out there for you yes yes 
So now you have more time to grow your business to build. And I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit here. So at some point, so between 2017, that's when you left? Yes. Okay. So now you're you're profitable. You're running. Now you have one studio mm-hmm. in Harlem and it's doing well. It's paying the bills. You're like... It's doing well. We're paying bills. We're getting recognition. We're getting clients. Our following's growing. Everything is going smoothly. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> And then 2020. So I think it's important to talk about this too, because I think for 2020, it's been a whirlwind for everyone, whether you are have you know a regular corporate job or not, or have your own business. Like it's impacted our health, our, our mental health, physical health, just the way things are, how we work as like if you have kids and you're working from home or having to commute and figure out how that works. Your business, though, because it's a physical location, like my business, you know, at most of the things I did was online anyway. There were some opportunities where, you know, I'm not speaking as much or going to conferences, but your business, like as a physical business, I want to hear like how it's been this transition, like to still be profitable if you are and like what's that been like for you? So it's been hard <laughs> in, in, a sum- in summary. It's been hard. Uh, Particularly as a cycling studio, one, our clients don't own bikes. That's literally why they come to us is because they don't have a bike at home. Um, And two, because they love the group atmosphere. So it was a little bit harder for us versus, you know, other fitness studios who did like hit training or things like that, where you're just taking the same workout and doing it at home. For us, we couldn't take the same workout and do it at home. Um, And so I recognized that immediately when we shut down, I was like, okay, we have to like show the world that we can do something else. We you know, all of our trainers, we all have multiple certifications and teach at other places and, and teach different things at other places. But here within Harlem, we're known for cycling. My first thing, though, was we need to show our community that we care. Like, this isn't just about making money during this time, because at the time when we shut down, it was so many unknowns. People were being laid off. People were being furloughed. Like, it was just so much unknown. And we were all literally scared for our lives. And so I was like, we need to show our clients that we care and we need to take care of them. And so everything we did within the first couple of weeks were, you know, free and with the intent of just making sure clients knew that we were here for them. We provided grocery shopping lists for things you should have at home. We had, you know, someone who had been a COVID survivor on like what prescription medicines or or things you need to get from the drugstore to keep in your home so that you're not running out to get these things in case COVID COVID does actually hit your home. I went around and interviewed some of our Harlem restaurants to do cooking demos so that our clients would have these cooking demos because some of us haven't cooked in a while either. um, So we could have this stuff. We taped a lot of our workouts um, and then provided them to clients. I was like, if you do nothing but these four little workouts every day, you're good. Um, And then we started doing like 15 minute online IG movement sessions just so we could like get up from our computers in the middle of the day, move together as a community and then get back down. And so those will be initially pivoted to like just making sure we're taking care of people, let them know we're here. And but, you know, in the back of my mind, like, okay, but we also need to make money. (laughs) So we rented out our bikes, shipped them to our clients' homes. um, and, And so that was like one steady stream of income that we could have coming in. And that was profitable, like even including the shipping costs to give them to your clients? Yeah. yeah oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so at the time, the interesting thing is, so, you know, when all this happened, it was like shipping companies were like, yeah, we'll take care of it for you. You know, it was, they lowered their rates to get as much business as possible. Um, so it was able to kind of ship those out and, and they're still with the clients right now. 
how many bikes did you ship out? Only 15. 15, okay. But you can charge, like you can do like a monthly rent fee. Yep. So we do a rental fee for that. And so that helped keeping that steady stream coming in. Um, and then those contracts that I had with my teachers, I still have them. We just teach class virtually, which is great. See, again, that opportunity didn't become available until I quit. And, and now it's what's helped sustain us. And then we immediately switched and put out a live stream schedule, very limited because we, you know, we used to teach 23 to 22 classes a week and now we're down to just nine. But those nine, you know, it's the faithful. We have some people who are still on their monthly packages who commit and are are still taking those classes. And, you know, we recognize that it was going to be harder for us than any other studio. Harder because I'm now telling you that what you love to do, which is cycling, I don't want you to do that right now. I want you to do something else. Right. So, you, so most of your classes, they're not all cycling now? No. Most of our classes are mat-based. So you don't need any special equipment to do them. Um, and and so we, you know, want to make sure you can do something at home. And even from that, we now have we now have an at-home subscription-based program. We have over 80 workouts on there. We release new workouts weekly. We're adding cycling to the platform. And this is also a monthly subscription program. So we've done a couple of pivots <laughs> during this time. And the good thing is, so I never wanted to be in the online space. I didn't want to be Peloton. I didn't want to be Mirror. I love the community feel. I love seeing people. I love the group part of group fitness. Um, but it's pushed me to a new, to another comfort zone. And it's pushed me to say, hey, why, why don't you want to be like Peloton? And so now we're in that same at-home subscription-based space as well. Right. And I mean, but, you know, and I think about um, the draw for it's Peloton or Peloton. I always like it. Right. <laughs> One At of this point, I'm like, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have, it's funny because my sister um, who's very into fitness, Shayna and I, like she's into fitness. She was like next step for her because she teaches fitness stuff too. Um, and she's doing things online and like in my head, like, again, I'm into fitness and I stopped with the kids, but I'm like one day, maybe I'll be a Peloton instructor. But like, I just felt like in general, like, the difference or the pull for people who would want to like join like what you're doing is one, the physical aspect of it, right? Like the community part and um, the convenience and just, I think also the goodwill, like it's a community based like business. Like this is one of our own who has started something for us and is like, you know, giving back to the community. I think that differentiates you from like the big names doing this stuff. So with like, all right, so you're, you're transitioning, you're pivoting. What about like your rent, right? I know one of the biggest things is like commercial rent. Like, you know, a lot of people couldn't pay. So how have you navigated that? So I'm still paying um, and have been paying full rent since March, even being closed. I've also become really proficient at grant writing. Um, so I literally plow through at least two to three grant applications a week. And the good thing is these grants were not out there before. Like these grants are just because of this timing. So we have to take advantage of this timing now. Um, And so I've, you know, we've been able to secure a lot of these private grants that have helped with the rent and securing our commercial lease and just help pay for it. So even, even the classes that my instructors are teaching, that money goes directly to them. So the studio isn't pulling the profit like we normally do, you know, normally Instructors get paid a set rate no matter who takes the class. This time, it's whoever takes the class, what they pay goes directly to you. So sometimes they're making more. <laughs> but I'm like, don't get used to this, guys. It's only during COVID. But, you know, I, for me, too, it's not just taking care of 
the Harlem community, but the Harlem psycho community. Like my team is is amazing and I love them and I want to make sure they're okay. And so, and I want them when I come back. And so to me, it's, you know, we had to make sure we took care of them. So that, that the live stream classes goes directly to them, but the at home subscription comes to the studio and as well as the bike rental fee. Right. Now, do you have like how many employees, if you have full-time employees, how does, what does your structure of your team look like? So for a structure, it's one full-time employee, which is me, and then 12 part-time contractors. Right, right. And that's the thing, right? Like running your business. I'm experiencing that now with Journey to Launch and expanding and like wanting to have and get help versus like even making, I said this in another podcast, if your business makes, let's just say, quarter of a million, which sounds like a lot because I just said million in there, but 250,000, your business makes that. You don't make that. Your business you don't makes make that. No. <laughs> As a business business owner, I may still walk away with like minimum wage when you do the math on how much time I put in. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely minimum wage. Yep. Right. I, I remember last year, same thing. Like, and even now, like I'm making more money this year and I'm paying myself, but it's still not like equivalent to what I made um, at my job just yet. And I think as a, as an entrepreneur, as, a, as someone who's trying to grow something, and take care of like not like yourself, but also others. Like you, you are taking care of putting your team first, right? They may be getting paid more than you at or at the moment or the same amount, and you know that's just what's necessary as a leader, especially during like times like this where it's just like maybe you know your income has been impacted. So I just think it's important to understand that these are the kind of things that as a leader, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur full time, like that it's not the money is the money will come may come depends but not always right away and if you're pivoting doing different things like this you may you some people are not even paying themselves like at all i remember i mean they're paying everyone else first because that's what it's going to take to keep the business going absolutely and there were there have been months that i got nothing zero uh barely enough to to pay my rent just you know thank heavens i do have a fiance who was still working so he was able to cover us for a couple of months but I mean, just to what you said, as a leader, your team comes first, your clients come first, your family comes first. And at some point you put yourself there, but it's, you're definitely not first. Yeah. And you have to be comfortable living off of bare necessities. Yeah. And I think there is a difference because I also don't want to get stuck into this like kind of savior kind of complex or mar- not savior, martyr complex too, right? As a business owner, because, you know, it's one thing is like, I need to pay my bills and my living expenses. Maybe I'm not making a profit in terms of like having extra money to invest and save. Right. But I need to, if you want journey to launch, if you want Harlem cycle to keep going, I need to eat food (laughs) and have a roof over my head to pay that. So like, that's just like baseline. But I think it's just important too, like as the business owner, you know, um, that the goal eventually is like, to reap the benefits to like, this isn't you're investing now, like maybe the return right away is not there, but it's compounding. And when that time comes for you to reap (laughs) the benefits, you did like, it's take it, you deserve it. You have to delay gratification. That's all it is. I know on the other side of this, I'll be okay because I, I would have built a brand and a community and a business that's sustainable and that has, you know, rallied around us and has helped us. And so that I know is, is happening because I've made these small sacrifices. But also, you know, I, I will tell people, bend, but don't break. Like, bend on certain things. But if you feel like you're breaking and your family's suffering and you can't sustain yourself, then you've gone too far. But do you need that extra shirt? No, that's a bend. <laughs> right, right. Do I need to, like, pay this mortgage and rent? Like, I'm not, I'm not betting on that. I need to make, and make sure I pay myself accordingly. 
So this episode will come out way after we kind of record this, but you did have unfortunate events happen at your you know, break-in, right? Um, yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because I saw that on social media and I was just like, oh my goodness, like, ugh. Yeah, and so that was, we. I got the call from actually the landlord and she was like, Tamika, the alarm was going off. I said the police, it went off at like 3 a.m. and at 6 a.m. it was going, it gone off again. So I ran over to the studio, I only live a few blocks away, and I got there and the police were there and our front door was completely kicked in, glass shattered everywhere. And I literally, my heart broke. Because it's it, like, Harlem Cycle is a second home. I sometimes spend more time here than in my apartment. And to have that happen, particularly because we are such a community-focused studio. And I was like, who would do this? Everyone knows this. Like, Everyone in this community knows who we are, knows what we're here for. And I literally, it, it just, it was a moment of, I'm like, I am so broken right now. They, they took so much from me at that moment. Um, and literally the week before we had the ceiling leak, my hard drive of my computer crashed. And I was like, Lord, I do not know what I did. <laughs> this, like, I feel like the test is here. And so that, that was such a, a horrible moment for me. And I like took a picture of the door. I posted it on social media. I was like, I am tired. And literally like five minutes later, one of the clients called in. I, like, actually, I was trying to send her to voicemail and I accidentally answered. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm sobbing and crying. But I was like, no, I'm fine. She's like, well, I'm coming over to help. I was like, no, it's just, I, it's just glass and I just need to clean it up. And she, she just hung up. And I was like, okay, good, whatever. Literally five minutes later, I, she's at the door with a broom in her hand, gloves on. And then like 10 minutes later, there's two other business owners and they were here sweeping and cleaning. And I'm like still like in tears trying to figure out what's happening and why this could happen. And it was beautiful. It like, so in such a dark moment and such a dark thing to happen, the community showed up for us and it was just like refreshing to see it and to like feel the love and to feel the warmth because we haven't seen them in eight months. Like we haven't seen our clients in eight months, not in person like that. Um, and you know, even with our live stream and on demand, the numbers aren't the same. We haven't seen a lot of our people in a long time. And they just literally like the outpour of love. I've gotten so many gifts and calls and people stopping in, emails, text messages. Like it's just been so amazing to see that level of support. So in that moment, they may, they may have broke me down, but the love has really built me back up. Oh, that's I that's that's amazing to hear. I'm so glad. And I know like we are so like still unaware of what 2020 has to offer and all the twists and turns and even not just but even just in the future. But like what where do you see like do you feel like after this, let's just say like if we can see past this and things get back to normal, quote unquote, do you feel like people will want to they get used to being at home doing workouts or that they will crave the community part of working out together again? (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting. Everyone, everyone has their own theory. But to me, there is nothing that can replace group fitness. There is nothing that can replace community. And there is nothing that can replace, like, the push you get from being live with someone there to push you along the way. And so, you know, it may be slow coming back. Like, I know people are going to be a little timid and scared just because of so many unknowns during this time. But... Overall, I think in the end, we will probably come out even better. One, because we are a small studio, um, because, you know, we've always been very meticulous about everything. Um, and because we've also been so, you know, towards the 
individualism and, and personalization and we know who's who and what's what as you're coming into the studio. And that's what people need. They need someone who care about them coming in. And I feel like we've been living in isolation for so long. We need to be around people. We need community and we, we need that. And so I think in the end, we'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'm just thinking too, like, cause I take, when I, I joined the, my local gym here and they have cycling and a lot of times like the music, I'm just like, like, it's okay, but it's not like right. what I want to hear. So <laughs> I already know, like, <laughs> I haven't taken one of your classes. Like when things open back up, I'd love to like come and do that. But it's just like, I can imagine though, like that energy, like being able to vibe out to like music that you actually like listening to what like, I'm, I'm assuming like you have a wide genre, but you do like probably hip hop and uh- what do you reggae? Reggae, but you know the Jamaican in me can sneak oh, in some yes. <laughs> sneak in reggae in any playlist. No, I want a reggae. I would want a whole reggae set. I need like a we whole have a reggae class. So oh I my, have okay. a, Thursday night is our reggae rundown class. Sundays is soulful Sunday where it's old school hip hop, R and B, and sometimes gospel. Um, we have like soca soca S- Sunday Saturdays too. We have hip hop Fridays. Like we're we're about the music. Love it. I love it. Okay. So Tamika, please tell everyone where they can follow up with you and Harlem Cycle, all the cool things you're doing online now, and then just like how they can support your business. Yes. You can always find us online. Our website is harlem-cycle.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Harlem Cycle. Um, All the things we're doing are online. Check it out on our website, you know, join our at-home program. So even if you are looking for cycling classes, they are coming in early November and they'll be on our on-demand platform. But we also want you to try those map-based workouts. So keep moving, keep doing those things so that you're ready for cycling classes when they're back live. So, you know, you can always check those out as well. Awesome. And I'll link all that in the episode show notes. Thanks so much for coming on, sharing your story. I loved it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Tamika. I, for one, am for sure going to check out Harlem Cycle once things get back to quote unquote regular and we can do things like that and feel more safe to be in person because I'm just like, what? A cycling class with reggae and Afro beats and the things that I like to listen to? Let's do it. So again, I love the conversation. Hope you did too. Let me know what you thought of it. As always, just make sure you tag me at Journey to Launch. Tag at Harlem Cycle too. Let us know what you thought of the episode. All right, now it's time for DCU's tip of the week. Call your insurance, cable, and internet providers. It never hurts to ask them if there is an option to reduce your current bills or negotiate your rate. This is one of my favorite tips. You can literally save hundreds of dollars by making these calls and negotiating with your service providers. If you want to check out the episode show notes, that's where you can get links to anything that's mentioned and even get a transcribed version of this episode that you can read. Go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. Now, you can also still grab your free Journeyer Jumpstart Guide by texting LAUNCH to 33777 or go to com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, 
your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast, with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.